anger disappeared. And because the anger disappeared, I could get to the hurt and the pain. And you know what they say, like women get sad, men get mad, but men get mad because they're sad. Welcome to Trauma to Triumph, where our goal is to empower, inspire, and give you the means to stand up, take control of your life while embracing your inner badass. I am thrilled you're here and wanting to be a part of this journey. In our 15th episode, I am beyond thrilled to introduce to you my badass friend and marketing guru, Mike Kim. Mike Kim is an expert in copywriting, branding, and marketing. He's worked with the biggest names in the industry, and his name is right up there with them. What I love about Mike is his real love and desire for helping people. He's a creative, he's a faith-based genius who's real and not pretentious. In this episode, we are going to talk about divorce, all things messy, and really how most people don't even realize or allow themselves to feel the trauma they experience with divorce. Mike is going to walk us through his experiences and help us understand from a man's perspective in the most honest, and I mean like real honest, way with some grits, what it's like to go through the motions of divorce, common coping mechanisms, and what he did to find some peace. Let's get started. So today we have Mike Kim on the show. Super excited to have you here today. Thank you for coming. Oh, yeah. This is going to get real. (laughs) It's it's great to be here. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. So before we even get started, I want to give people a little bit of frame of reference for how we ended up meeting each other. And we ended up meeting each other at a Date with Destiny event in Florida, which is kind of funny because you're in Florida now. And it was super random, totally by fluke. And uh, the way that we ended up meeting each other and staying connected was really kind of funny and really interesting. And I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, because I always think that my version is always funnier, but I would love to hear your take on how we ended up meeting and staying connected. Yeah. Um, So for those of you who aren't familiar with Date With Destiny, it's a huge Tony Robbins conference like that goes on for five or six days. And my friend had twisted my arm to go attend, and I didn't really want to. But on the last day that I could sign up, I did. And I went to this conference. And the primary reason I went to the conference was because my marriage was in shambles. And I was trying to figure out if the prophet himself, Tony Robbins, would tell me, (laughs) (laughs) would give me like clarity on my relationship and my life to see if I should like actually stay in this marriage. Because by that time, let me see. Yeah, it was, it was. December 2017 and life had been hell for almost two years, right? Like we had separated twice and it was just hell, right? It was just like not a good thing. I was not in a good frame of mind. So go to this conference and um, Kim, you know, my friend Tom who invited me and he's like, Hey, yo, they have a, they have a day on just for relationships. I'm like, great. That's what I need to go for. And I show up to the conference and I don't know if any of you have ever been to a Tony Robbins event. Um, it's insane. It's like a rock concert for 12 to 14 straight hours. And I went in to that event and I decided I would play all out. I would go out, you know, like that is not my idea of a good time, but I went all out. In relationship day, I just kept thinking it was, oh, it's tomorrow. And then by day two, I was like, oh, it's maybe it's tomorrow. And then day four came and I'm like, oh, maybe it's tomorrow. I was getting pissed off because like it didn't happen until like day five. 
And then during relationship day, one of the many exercises that you do is you write down some things about like what your ideal relationship is. And then Tony has you talk to like two people that are near you. Now, usually you're with your group, but I left my group because I can't stand sitting in the middle of a row. So I was like sitting on the outside, like of the, of the conference center, like on the fringes of the, of the main hall. And Kim was next to me. And there was this other dude. He was, I just remember he was this like real short Italian guy or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so the three of us got into this group and I just started telling them everything. I just started bawling. I was like crying. I was like, yeah, my wife and I, like, I think I'm going to leave her, but I don't know what to do. But like, I need to like, I want to tell her some things, but I just don't trust her. And I was like crying. And then Kim was like, oh, you should tell her and like, oh, blah, blah. And then we just stayed friends. And that's how we met. She, the, her first impression of me was with, like bawling, like a, like an eight-year-old kid. I lost all <laughs> any and all man cards that I was carrying at that time. <laughs> and then my impression of her was like, she was, she was, she looked like she hadn't showered in four days. Cause she probably didn't. Right. We were like locked up in stupid like hall for like, you know, five straight days. Like no one looked pretty at that point. Like none of, we were all in sweatpants and winter jackets and try to stay warm. Cause he keeps it super cold in there. But in all seriousness, after that, we just kind of hung out a few times at the event, had lunch, you know, had dinner, just kind of talked through some things. And then we just stayed friends ever since. And then she told me, Hey, um, I'm like looking to start a blog and a podcast and I just quit my job. And I was like, Oh my God, this really is a date with destiny. Why don't you come to Miami? Like, you know, an hour away after this event is over and come to my blogging boot camp because I'm hosting one with my friends. And that we just kind of stayed in touch. And so I've known Kim since the beginning with this whole journey. So it's here we are. That's like the sanitized version, or that's my version. And, um, you know, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it's so funny because that was literally a year ago and maybe a few weeks. And, um, when I met Mike at first, it was, um, he was living in New Jersey and, um, the crazy part for me was that I didn't really know who Mike was. And so the fact that I could randomly sit next to a guy who's in this online marketing space and, you know, when you're in the space, it's like, oh, they're all around. But when you're coming from like corporate banking life and you meet somebody who's like the polar opposite and doing exactly, you know, what you want to do in a random place in Florida out of 5,000 people, it was just really crazy to me. And I remember walking around like, is this for real? Like, this is not happening. And so it was great. But what was really interesting, though, is that the the people that I ended up meeting along the way and the conversations that we've had, like you've come to Seattle and that was really fun because you ended up watching me spar with some guys um, and, you know, going back to Florida, just like all the crazy shit that we've done in between is just like when you think about it, I'm like, it's only been a year that we've been friends, but <laughs> we've done some really crazy shit. <laughs> Yes, we have. And I have done some crazy shit on my own. And I guess that's what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Because like, yeah, so my marriage ended. uh, We divorced. Um, Thankfully, we're like on pretty good terms now, which is interesting because I don't think we would have ever been able to both get healthy um, had we stayed together. Right. And so we, my ex-wife and I have had a couple of good conversations uh, in the interim. But yeah, that whole like year two year period like when i thought i was going to get divorced and i didn't and we finally made the decision that was insane like i did i was just not equipped to handle 
being single in my late 30s and having enough money to get myself in trouble, but not having the emotional intelligence to understand what the heck was going on. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but um, I think you guys are going to get to know me really, really well. That's the feeling I get. So my first question for you would be, would you consider what you went through trauma? Oh, totally. Totally. (laughs) 1000%. At the time I did not, but yeah, absolutely. 1000%. Now I'm sharing some of this stuff and I'm, I'm trying to share this objectively, right? I don't want anyone to hear anything that I say in regards to what I went through as me throwing my ex wife kind of under the bus or whatever. Like we were married for 12 years, like 10 of them were really good. Right. Mm -hmm. And we just hit a wall. Um, you know, one of my counselors said, you know, you guys have had the same three dance moves and those dance moves worked for 10 years and then they didn't. And you're either going to have to learn some new dance moves or this dance is over. And that was, I felt like that was a really good picture for what we were going through. Like 10 years of, you know, and we were eight years apart and got married when my wife was just 20 years old. So you can only imagine just the craziness of of us growing up together, us doing adult life together, and yet not ever having like addressed a lot of the the issues in there. And so when um, our marriage kind of fell apart, looking back, I can honestly say like I own things that I did or did not do. I could have done a better job of being emotionally connected to her buy more flowers, be more romantic, right? Be more empathetic, understand her more. I was in my own world, growing my own business and trying to, you know, make ends meet, right? And then when the crap hit the fan, she reacted so much, like so overboard compared to like what we were actually really going through because of her own issues. And that was very traumatic. It was just, you know, out of nowhere one day, hey, um, I think we should see other people. I'm like, whoa, time out. Uh, we're married. Like we can't do that. Right. (laughs) But at the same time, I was like, what is really going on inside her that would cause her to say something like that? Mm -hmm. And that started a whole chain reaction of very traumatic um, experiences. Whereas, you know, she, she just was like, I don't want you to come into the bathroom when I'm there. Um, I think that we should see other people. I'm like, are you, are you having an affair? Like, just tell me. And she was like, no, I'm not. Turned out she was having an emotional kind of affair. I don't know if you call that an affair, but I think I would, right? Mm -hmm. And it almost kind of made it worse that it was emotional, not just a one night, you know, I was drunk and made a mistake kind of thing, right? And so that just started a whole series of um, events where um, we were, uh, Kim, I felt like we were literally, like my heart was being ripped apart. Not broken, either broken would have been nice. (laughs) Because <laughs> it would be boom, once done, right? Right. But like pulled pork, like just straight, like excruciating. Like, um, gosh, I, I mean, like a month after, like, you know, all like she said that, you know, she told me, yeah, I've been actually talking to the guy, a uh, guy for like the last six weeks, and I didn't tell you, and that sucked. Mm-hmm. And then when I told my friends about it, she got angry that I told my friends. I was like, what? Like, what are you talking? Like, wh-? and it was just shame right on her end. And for me, it was pain and reacting to that pain and that kind of betrayal or that kind of trauma. But it didn't stop there. I think I really, I really did understand why she would want to explore or talk to somebody else. Um, I joked with her. I was like, listen, I'd be sick of myself being married to me for 10 years. I get it. You know, you're attractive, you're young, like you have this 
you know, you've never really dated before. So I get that. But what really hurt was how, um, she treated the marriage and how she treated me because out of reaction from that shame and, um, that, that, that kind of guilt, she just lashed out and painted me black to try to justify it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she had asked for a long story short, she had asked for a divorce four times, drew up papers, um, didn't really want to go to counseling was clearly not present, you know, in counseling in the, in, in the beginning, um, it deleted me from all her social media. And I'm not the one who, who like was being sketchy. Mm-hmm. So that sucked like big time. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm introverted by nature. I'm a thinker. Like I'm an INTJ on the, on the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs. Right. And like, man, I cried every day, no joke, every day for six straight months. Like I was like, what? And people asked me, why are you staying with her? Like she's doing such insane things. Like one day she was like, hey, I'm going to go to Korea to take some time off to go see my family. But can we sign the divorce papers before I leave so I can keep them in a safe so that if I make a decision while I'm in Korea, I can come back and like, you know, start on the process right away. I was like, who the fuck asked for like literally it's a good thing we were at like a Chipotle in public. <laughs> I would have made, I would like, I was very restrained. Like I, I mean, but like my dad was very explosive with his anger and it would manifest physically. So I know that. And so I try very, very hard, right. Not to do that. And, and because of that, I think I've never really leaned into anger. Does that make sense? Right. I've never really leaned into it. So I just just shut it off. Well, this whole experience was so overboard, so much more than anything I'd ever experienced that I didn't know what to do. I could physically feel like I just wanted to like throw a car overboard. Like I think I could have done it because the amount of like the emotion in me. And it was just those kind of crazy things that when I look back, I stayed with her because they were so insane that I actually thought she was clinically depressed. Mm-hmm. or needed like significant professional help. And you don't just leave a person. You don't leave a person in the midst of that. Like before you find out what's really good, you don't leave a person like that. That's your wife. That's your husband. Right. And so I stayed and I just ate shit. <laughs> I really did. Um, and at the time, I, I don't know what, what y'all believe in God, the universe, whatever, but some higher power and major, major codependency kept me <laughs> in that dynamic for six months until I just realized I was getting stepped all over. Um, her mom treated me horribly, uh, took all my clothes out of the master bedroom and threw them in a guest room closet. Like when we were separated and I came back to the house and she'd like literally taken all my photos down. It was just insane. So yeah, I would say it's traumatic long story there. And we can unpack all that if y'all want, but uh, for anyone who's been through a divorce or going through some shit right now, God, my heart goes out to you because it really was like someone was taking like sadistically, like shreds of my heart and my soul and peeling them like strings of pulled pork <laughs> so every terrible. day. Yeah, it was terrible. It just was so horrible. And I drank like crazy and I tried to find affirmation like crazy as a guy, you know, you go out and see who, what girls like will be attracted to you. You know, you try to fill that pain with all sorts of insanity, right? 
And, um, and, and it's normal. Like I say insanity, but it's also normal, mm-hmm. right? Because life is insane at that point. And, and, and then you just realize one day, like, man, I got to get my shit together because no one else is going to get it together for me. And I don't know where to start. It's like having a, a room that's just a total mess. You don't know where to start. You just pick something up. Right. Just pick something up and start working through it. So yeah, that's kind of, that's the long and short of it. So I have a couple questions for you in that you say, you said something in, in regards to like the normal shit that you do. And when you talk about normal shit that you do when you're going through this process, I really want to um, touch on that because um, what I call that is blocking, right? Like you do everything you can other than actually sit in the shit that you're dealing with. So like, whether it be drinking, whether it be going out on dates, whether it be like, you know, you know, hanging out with all of your friends or traveling, like you're trying to escape through whatever worldly views you might currently have as far as like, oh, this is going to make me a better person. But what you really need to do was go internally. So give me some examples of what blocking looked like for you. Oh, man. Okay. So here's actually what's really different about my experience. I think I didn't have a regular day job. Mm-hmm. I don't work nine to five. So there was no routine in my life. Um, I'm a full-time consultant. I work for myself. Business is doing very well, but it's also very, very much predicated on my own work, like my own effort, right? The business doesn't move forward unless I actually do something. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't have structure, I didn't have to get up by a certain time and show up at an office. Like I determined all of that. Um, I felt like by default, I was forced to sit in a lot of that emotion. Mm-hmm. And there were, I didn't get out of bed till 2 PM some days, 3 PM. And I'm, I'm like, at a loss for words as how my business survived during that time. I had a few systems in place and I had just enough strength to like do a few group calls that I had to do with clients and, and just pump out enough stuff so that the business and revenue could stay afloat. But man, Kim, I'm telling you, like I had a book deal back in 2016 and I had to shelve the book. I never wrote it. I just didn't have the energy. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a crazy thing because, you know, I'm sleeping as much as I can, but never feeling rested. I'm going to bed crying, waking up crying, waking up, trying to get through the day, do some work. And all I've got is 15, 20 minutes of work in me. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just sitting in, in that, that sadness and that heartbreak. And, um, so I was looking for pockets of blocking, right? And and I had great friends, you, so many other people. I mean, there was a season where, especially during that six months, I didn't go more than probably 40 minutes a day without someone calling or texting me. Mm-hmm. And that kept me busy. It, it allowed me to talk about what I was going through because men don't talk. Right. Right. But it allowed me to talk about things and they kept engaging me in conversations And um, I hired two counselors so that I could talk. And my friends kept me sustained just to get to the next counseling session. And I realized that that was the muscle that I needed to develop. It's like kind of someone learning to walk again. I can't call my counselor every day. That's not (laughs) right. I've got to learn to walk and lean on the people in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Friends, family, even my ex-coworkers take me out for drinks, but we did a lot of drinking, right? And so... 
I'd go out to New York City with my buddies and I would just get totally plastered, totally hammered. And I'll go to the bar and sit there and wallow because I'm not a I'm not a social butterfly at the bar, right? I'm that's not my scene. I'm not gonna pick up a bunch of girls at the bar. I don't hit on girls like that, right? I'm good one on one at dinner, right? <laughs> but like so I'd go to these bars and I would just sit there and just drink shot after shot after shot, just sitting at the bar while everyone else is talking and I'm just staring out into nowhere and all my friends are having a good time. They're doing their thing. I would just felt safe because I was with them mm-hmm. right? and I wasn't wallowing in my own house, sleeping on this air mattress that I slept on for months. Right. I hate air mattresses. I, I mean, it's, it just traumatized me <laughs> air mattresses for months. And you know, there were days I was like, I should have kicked that bitch out and made her sleep on the air mattress. But what the fuck are you going to do? Right. Like, I can't believe I'm, this is the real me. <laughs> this is honestly me. Like, you know, and again, again, um, <laughs> a lot of that anger has just, it's been years now and I've done a lot of work to, to walk through it to the point that we've had really good company. We even had dinner over new year's. It was nice. Right. Um, I'm not going back into that relationship, but it was just nice to not be enemies and not feel like there was a person that I spent 12 years of my life with that I can't talk to. Right. The anger disappeared. And because the anger disappeared, I could get to the hurt and the pain. And you know what they say, like women get sad, men get mad, but men get mad because they're sad. Mm -hmm. And until men, I feel until we deal with the anger, you can't actually get to the root of the hurt. And I dealt with a lot of the anger, just like a, like a balloon, man, like just letting it out a little bit at a time. Right. Mm-hmm. And all these friends talking to me and talking to the counselors, like going out and like getting absolutely trashed and like meeting girls and like, you know, doing the one night thing and, and knowing that they were totally using me, but I was using them and, and then feeling like crap the next day. Right? <laughs> okay. All right. But Hey, I'm just trying to survive. Right. And that that's what blocking looked like for me. Um, it just looked like making a lot of decisions like that, that were just um, at the time relief, but also at the same time killing my own soul. Yeah. You know, and that's that's unfortunately what we do. We We get into these times like that and you just do things that you're looking for relief, but it's killing your soul. And, you know, if, if I was spending 80% of my energy trying to do it the healthy way, you know, and talk to my friends and go to counseling and read all the books, I still needed that 20% where I was just like raging. Right. And I, um, I learned to forgive myself for that. And I learned to, you know, allow myself to that. And the one deal I made with one of my counselors was like, you can do whatever you want as long as you know what you're doing. As long as you're self-aware, as long as you are saying, yes, I'm choosing to drink, you know, 15 shots of this bottle of, of whiskey. And I know I'm doing that because I'm angry and I'm hurt and I want to dull the pain I'm not going to make an excuse tomorrow morning when I'm hungover. Like, I don't know what happened. I just, one thing led to another. That's the one thing, you know, Kim, that like really, really, that helped me stay accountable to myself. Yeah. You know, so. I love that. That sounds like a Susie advice. Is that a Susie advice? Yeah, that was one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Susie so, was my counselor for those who don't know. One of my counselors, the other two, <laughs> I had two, yeah. So a couple of like, there's so many different things here. I'm like, so the first step that I want to take into is when did you realize that the way that you were dealing with it was unhealthy and what like turned that light switch on so that you could actually do the work that you needed to do in order to get to the point that you are at right now? Well, I, I actually think, I don't think there was necessarily a switch. I think okay. they went in tandem, okay. right? So I do healthy stuff most of the week. <laughs> Right. Yes. And then on the weekend, I would do completely unhealthy stuff. Right? <laughs> it was just this, it was, <laughs> right? it's like, you know, like um, two steps forward, one step back. Right. That's how it was. And that's how real life is. That's, that's the other thing that I really came to terms with because I grew up very religious. I grew up in a church. Yeah. I go in a church and in that world, and I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just, I'm just saying that there are things that uh, like, I realize now as an adult that I was told when I was younger or got the impression and completely false, right? Like life is messy. Life is gray. There is no cut and dry. There, there's no such thing as that. You look at nature, like there's no, that doesn't happen in nature, mm-hmm. right? The forest blends into the woods, blends into the beach. Like there's no, Hey, we're going to just draw this line right here. And, um, you know, one animal eats another. It's just a circle of life. And like, I, I've realized that these the idea of like, this is cut and dry, that's cut and dry. Like it's, it's by and large a human construct. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can make a decision and say no more. I do. I have made a decision to not be victimized anymore, to not be traumatized, to not allow people into my life who are going to um, take advantage of me, whatever you're going through right now in your life. Like, you know, you made a decision, right? So that's a, that's a line in the sand, but lines in the sand don't happen in nature. (laughs) Straight lines don't happen in nature, right? Right. And so I had to learn to navigate that duality, the grayness of that, the, you know, the, 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 like the mess. And so, um, you know, I've realized on one hand, okay, like, yeah, I can meet this girl, but I'm going to treat her with respect. Like I'm going to take her to dinner. I'm going to be really nice and attentive. I'm not going to be crude. I'm not going to be disgusting. And I was really like that. And then what happened was they liked me even more. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like really honest with them. I'm like, yeah, I'm just being honest with you. Um, You know, I'm going through this divorce or, or, and uh, I'm not really looking for anything. I just want to be honest with you. Um, And that made them like me even more. And I was like, what is going on here? Cause like, they don't meet honest guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was like kind of like they had the, the, the adverse, like the, the opposite effect of what I thought it would. And I'd be like, we don't need to meet, you know, I'd meet them on like an app like Tinder or like Coffee Meets Bagel or like, you know, Bumble. Yeah, I used them all, right? Because <laughs> right? you're just trying to fill time. You're just trying to find like some sort of affirmation as a man, you know, because mm-hmm. you've just been chewed up and spit out. And like, you know, and, and again, an aside, but like, damn, the guy that my like ex-wife was like super infatuated with, I was like, if he was at least like the CEO of Samsung, I would understand. <laughs> but holy crap, come on. Like I was, I was actually kind of offended. I was like, okay, first, I beat the crap out of this dude with one hand tied behind my back. Second, he looks more girly than my wife does, right? Like just this Korean, like just piss ant of a guy, right? And not his fault. He didn't know she was married. Mm-hmm. No, she didn't, he didn't know. Right. But like that just got to me as a guy. Right. Because I would like to think I'm not Brad Pitt or something, but 
I don't look like Danny DeVito. I'm not like, you know, chump change here. Got a great job. We own two homes. Like what the hell? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going, I'm going to be honest with these girls. I'm going to tell them, you know, going through this divorce and like, I'm really, really not looking for anything. I would just really like to, you know, have dinner and enjoy your company and, and maybe get to know you a little bit. And man, we'd have dinner and, you know, you learn a thing or two over 10 years of marriage, like how to have an actual freaking conversation. <laughs> like I've met so many of my girls, the girls and my girlfriends, you know, who are single, who are dating. Like you and I talk a lot about that stuff and you're like, damn, it's like men doesn't matter how old they are, how advanced they are in their career. Like they have no social skills. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to have like a decent conversation. They don't know how to listen. They don't know how to pay attention to details. And I could do all that because I was married for 10 years at the time, right? Yes. So it like pulled them in even more. Okay, that's a really bad. But yeah, it was just like, I was like, holy crap. I'm like this, like, I'm like this baller, dude. This is crazy. And so, you know, I mean, what am I going to say? Like a girl, okay, you want to like, let's get a drink at my apartment. I'm, what am I going to say? I'm going to be like, okay. You know? <laughs> and I knew what I was doing, right? I knew what I was doing. I was like, okay, wow. Geez, I didn't know it was this easy. Damn. Okay. And so I medicated that way. I totally did. Totally did. Right. And, um, you know, I think when it came to relationships, if there was a switch that flipped, it was... It was when I finally realized after like, oh my, I don't even want to say how many, because I can't even, I, honestly, I, I can't even count. I, I've totally lost count. It's like, so I'm not even like, what are you like a three? No, no, no. Like 10 X that go like Grant Cardone and 10 X. Right? <laughs> oh my God. I, I don't even know. Right. I don't even know. Right. And, um, it got to a point where I realized I'm just doing the same thing over and over and over again with a different person at dinner you know, a different body and I'm having the same conversations over and over and over again. And this is getting very exhausting and I don't like it. Like I started to realize like there was a time, like I just stopped wanting to go out and it was like my system telling me, Hey, knucklehead, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> like, what are you like actually trying to look for? And can, on the other side of it, as I got healthier, and as more time, um, as there was more time, more distance between the trauma of what happened and where I was, right, as the months and years passed, I was getting healthier. So I had more of an aversion to that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. Because as I got healthier, I realized I didn't want to eat Big Macs. <laughs> right? I mean, you, you like we've all been like you work out and you, you actually feel great. And you're like, I don't actually want to put that crap in my body. And that's what I, that's when I started to kind of like, you know, like get my head above the, above water and say, you know, um, I clearly know I'm not emo emotionally available to any of these women. Mm -hmm. Right. And just because I'm honest with them so that I can check that box for my own self-conscious conscience, right. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make it right. Because no matter what I tell them, they're women and they process things differently. Amen. And most of them thought, I'm going to be the one to change him. And I was like, there ain't no chance in hell. 
because here's <laughs> one thing I know about men. You, you can't keep a man who doesn't want to be kept. Right. And I just knew I did not want that. I did. I was just completely averse. I'm, I wasn't even divorced officially yet. Yeah. And so, um, man, you know, like then I, I noticed, caught myself saying things like to my friends and you know, I've told you this, like, I don't know that I'll ever love somebody as deeply as I loved my wife. And then I started to call my own BS on that. Right. You know, cause I was like, wait a second. So you're telling me this is as good as it gets in your life, Mike Kim, that after all the hard work that you do, after all the looking at yourself in the mirror and, and spilling your guts to friends and counselors and, and reading all these books and getting healthy, quote unquote, like you're never going to learn to love somebody again or be capable of that. That's like saying, I'm going to train with Kim Bao in the gym for 90 days straight, but I will never bench 225 again. Like, that's stupid, <laughs> right. but that's what I believed, Right. And it was just an excuse, right? So yeah, that's, man, yeah, I, I raged. I really did. There's so many great things that you have just talked about there. The first thing that I want to say is like, thank you for being super real about all of your experiences, because a lot of times people are going to want to like sugarcoat that shit. And you're just like all out there. So I'm like, Hey, my Kim's really just showed up. <laughs> the other... Nothing to hide at this point. I mean, <laughs> the other thing that's really amazing is that I love your ability to acknowledge that women process things differently. And just because you tell yourself that you're being honest and you're being forthright, you're also acknowledging the fact that people take things indifferently and knowing where certain people are mentally or emotionally and really understanding that it's still not right, right? Because a lot of us will just go and do it because we're like, hey, well, we were honest. We said exactly what it was and they still come around. And it's like, no, like you obviously know that they're holding out for hope, whether they want to say something or not, even though you've been really forthright and you can continue to like push that message down. And you're obviously not acknowledging the fact that it's pretty plain and simple what these people are thinking and feeling. Yeah, it desensitizes you to mm -hmm. another person. You can talk about, oh, well, I'm empathetic. Like, look, I'm being honest. I'm being straightforward. Like, wait, wait, hold on, though. You don't really understand how that that person is hearing it. Right. They can't help but hear it a certain way. Just in the same way men can't help hearing things a certain way. Right. Right? And so when I, when I, I mean, I would, man, Kim, it was like... It was so easy. Yeah. It was so easy. And that's one thing about me. I realized that like the, the women that I actually respected deep down inside. Now, this is going to make me sound like a jackass, but I'm going to say it this <laughs> way. Just trust that, you know, you all can hear what I'm really trying to say. I, I don't know that I've ever articulated this, especially in public, right? Like this. But um, the women that I truly, truly respected. Now I feel like I respected all of them. I didn't, I didn't slap them around and call them like, you know, you're my hoe or I'm not like that. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So, but like I knew what they wanted, they knew what I wanted and it almost felt like a mutual, Hey, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten laid in a while. Neither of you, why don't we just go do it? Okay. Now, of course, she can say that, but after it happens, but be calling and texting me, right. Thinking, Oh, we're going to be together. Right. Even though she's the, she also said the same thing. Right. 
But here's what I realized: like the the women that I did that, that I really, really, truly respected, I never fooled around with, never, never, never even crossed my mind. And um, like, there was one person, you know, they shall go unnamed. Obviously, we were just friends. Just started off as friends. Met while I was going through what I was going through. Um, she had been through a divorce, no kids. And I felt of all people, this person would kind of understand my journey. And when we met as friends, she she was seeing somebody. So to me, I was like, oh, this is safe. This is wonderful. It's just a friend. Wow, what a novel thought. I can just have a friend who happens to be a girl. This is nice. And she was very kind to me, introduced me to a lot of her friends, her guy friends, gal friends. We all hang out. And then it got weird. (laughs) <laughs> it got weird because she was like, you know, we got drunk one night and she was like, Hey, you really missed out. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> you really missed out. Like, I really liked you. I was like, wait, time out, time out, time out. You were seeing somebody. Yeah. But I broke up with him. I was like, it's news to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and then she was just coming on to me. And so, you know, like an idiot, like a guy, I'm like, Sure. Sure. Okay. Right. Cause um, <laughs> that's like pizza, right? Like pizza. It's even when it's bad, it's good. Right. Like there's never a bad time for pizza. You guys can see Kim's face right now. She's just face palming right now. That's I'm saying this, but I'm like, I already ate dinner, but Oh, you want a slice of pizza. Sure. I'll take some pizza. Okay. I'll right. So of course, you know, we hook up and it's super weird for me. Right. Because I felt like, wow, I think I just lost a friend. And and I kind of did in a lot of ways, right? And then she just was like, you really missed out. And I can tell when a guy really likes me and you don't. And I was like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> what? What? Like, what? When did I ever give you that? Imp- I thought we were just friends. Right. And for the first time, I realized, okay, let, let me try to articulate this way. For the first time, I felt maybe this is what it's like to be a girl, who gets her emotions crossed up and like there feels like there's a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, shit, this sucks. <laughs> like it really, it really sucks. <laughs> Cause I really like liked this person as a friend. So my first friend, after I moved down into a new area of the country, hanging out there. Right. And it was like the only friend I really had. And man, like that sucked. And I was like, I feel kind of like I got played in a way, right? Or was like forced into a situation. So I I almost felt like maybe this is how girls feel when they truly tell a guy, I'm just your friend. And the guy's like inviting the girl to like all his, his stuff and his friend parties and whatever. And then all of a sudden like makes a move on her. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like what the hell? Like what? And gets a little bit crossed up and it's like, man, I feel, okay, maybe I'll go out on a date with him because I don't want to lose him as a friend. Mm-hmm. But what the heck, this just got super like weird, right? Now, all that to say, I don't think it's wrong for a guy if he has feelings or interest in a girl to express them, right? My point is like, it was very clear we were friends. It was very clear she was seeing somebody, and I was like, what the heck did you expect me to do? Try to steal you from your boyfriend? Like, <laughs> 15? And that really got to me. It really did. And so, like, man, I, I just, 
that gave me a lot of empathy as well for, you know, these women that I was talking to. Right. And, you know, we all joke and people joke about, Oh, let them down easy or let her down easy. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we say that when, when we have a friend who wants to break up and end a relationship, we tell him, let him down easy or let her down easy. Um, but, you know, to, to do that predicated on the fact that all we did, you know, all I did with a lot of these girls would just go out two, three times and, and, you know, like hook up and then that's it. There's no letting down anything. I mean, you're, you're just, we're just all using each other. And I knew that. And I felt that way too with some of these girls. I felt, I was like, wow. So this is what it's like to feel like a piece of meat. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, man, it's, it's, it was, it was a messy journey. And, um, you know what, anyone listening to this that has been through a divorce or has gone through that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. They all, they have done it to a certain degree, maybe not as crazy as I have, maybe 10 times crazier than I have. Mm -hmm. We've all, I try to to medicate and cope. All of us are addicted to relief in some way or another, right? Mm-hmm. And you find ways, you know, to find a balm for your pain. And yeah, that was it for me, you know. Oh, Mike, what am I going to, that just like amazing. Like what you just said, like I could just reach over the screen and like give you a hug and a kiss because the whole idea of like, Knowing what a girl feels like when a guy says, when we tell guys that they're just our friends, like you can get like an award for that one. Because <laughs> like you like pretty much explained the whole theory of like when a guy decides to put a move on a girl and the girl's like thinking we're just going to be friends. Um, but even more than that, like I, I love everything that you shared and just being so, again, real and vulnerable and like honest about that experience. The one thing that I find so incredibly amazing, like you're not, you you talk about being married for 10 years and you can have a conversation. There are plenty of guys who've been married for 10 years and still can't have conversations with women. So, you know, I'm going to back that one up a little bit and just to like give people a frame of reference, like the fact that you have spoken as much as you have, the fact that you are, you've been a faith leader at one point, the fact that you do what you do for a living, like your ability to have conversations with just about any walks of life is pretty phenomenal. So that I would say is something that sets you above and, you know, apart from most normal guys. Um, The other thing though, is that your ability to realize that you needed to hire a counselor, not just one, but two, right? Which is insane. Um, What brought you to the point of saying, hey, like, having a counselor is important because I know that a lot of people that go through divorce, they don't realize that it's trauma, right? And they don't really even think that it's like anything abnormal because we start to normalize things, not realizing that we don't have the skills that are, that will equip us to understand the shit that we're feeling. So what made you decide that you were going to get a counselor? And especially being Asian, like I have to say that it's like a real faux pas topic of like seeing a therapist. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Asians in general, um, we stuff our emotions down. We bury them and then it comes out another way. Like, you know, violence, um, prostitution, 
um, man, you ever see what those Japanese people do? Not throwing them on the butt, but they got some weird fucking cartoons. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that comes from somewhere. You know what I mean? Like very, very rigid, strict, you know, culture. Like that stuff comes from somewhere. And, you know, I think on one hand, right, I've always been open to other people speaking into my life. And when I went into business for myself in 2014, 2015, as a solo entrepreneur, I hired coaches and I hire coaches when I'm going through a major transition in life because they can see around the corner. I can be in the car with them and they can be guiding me to drive down a certain road, but they know what's coming. They know what turn is coming next. Now, when, you know, when my ex told me, Hey, I think uh, we should see other people. And then, you know, uh, two weeks later, she told me I've been talking to this guy for five or six weeks. I said, wow, okay, all right, you got, and I drew a line in the sand and I said, um, you got three days to uh, cut this off and tell him you're married and that you'll never talk to him again and we'll go to counseling or if you don't want to do that, then we'll go see a lawyer. And, you know, because clearly this is something that you want, you've decided that you want, right? And um, the counselor was because I was going through a major transition in my life. I had no idea what to do. And um, in situations like that, you need a neutral party because what's going to happen with our friends, they're going to start picking sides. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happened. Some of the guys sided with me, with me, some of the girls sided with me, some of the guys sided with her, some of the girls sided with her, you know, um, family, our own friends there, you know, as much as they try to be empathetic towards the other person at, at the same time, you are hurting my friend and I am uh, on his side. Right. And that, that's what, that's where the lines were drawn. And so I wanted a counselor, but I wanted two counselors because I want, because we were going through this and I'm like, if we have a male counselor and a female counselor, that'll make me feel really good. Cause at least we're getting two of those perspectives because counselors aren't completely neutral either. Mm-hmm. Right. Like my ex-wife, I mean, she's so sweet. Like everybody loves her when they first meet her. She mm-hmm. just decided hi. And like, and, and was like, Oh, how could she ever do anything wrong? Well, <laughs> guess what? Like, you know, she does, you know, we all do. Right. None of us poops rainbow, like ice cream. You know what I mean? Like all our crap smells. And so like, for me, it was really important um, to have that. And our, our marriage counselor, to, you know, the one we saw together was a man. But I hired a woman, a female counselor, to work with me directly because, you know, my, my wife at the time, she didn't want to do two counselors. So mm-hmm. I just hired her for myself. I'm like, how am I misunderstanding women? What am I not understanding? I need you to give me some perspective on what she is feeling. And I was like, I want you to tell me this is not the time to ask me 27 questions about what I want to do with my life. No, this marriage is burning to the ground. <laughs> I don't need you to ask me which fire extinguisher I want to use or whether I even want to use one. Mm-hmm. Like we need to put this out. And so that was my approach there. And um, I had a great lady named Susie Miller. I mean, I'll sing her praises forever. She walked me through the, 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 the toughest time in my adult life. And, um, you know, Kim, I needed to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I threw every resource at this that I possibly could. I attacked it like it was a business problem. 
When I have a business problem, I get the best thinkers, the best people can find around me. I throw my resources into it because it's valuable to me. And at the same time, my heart, like I said earlier, was being pulled, like, like, like pulled pork, right? Just, just, oh, excruciating pain. And yet when I was in my right mind, I was still able to make those decisions because rationally I knew I can't see anything right now. I'm flying a plane through the fog and I have to trust the instruments on the, on the dashboard. And those instruments are my counselors, my pastors, my friends who are healthy. Right. And the friends who are unhealthy, the ones who are going to take me out all drinking all night. Right. (laughs) Just, yo, if I go to jail, you're, I'm calling you. Right. And so, but they showed me unconditional love. They really did. I could have done. And that's what really, that's what really, really changed my life. You know, um, I think they're, you know, and talk about moving on from trauma and, and trying to step into victory and try to step into healing. Um, you know, you, you really realize that there's two things and these are the only two things that really will set you free. It's number one, forgiveness, like forgiving yourself, forgiving the other person. But I don't know that people can actually forgive until they number two, tap into the understanding of real unconditional love like real unconditional love. Like, like I have friends, you included, I could call you up at two in the morning and tell you I did X, Y, Z, you know, one, two, three. I mean, I could probably tell you I, I ran somebody over cause I was driving drunk and you would be like, you stupid mother. Right. But <laughs> right. you would still come get me in jail. Right. And be like, okay. Right. And that to me is something I didn't realize that I had all of these years. And yet I only realized I had it when I opened up. Like for me to tap into that and access that kind of grace and forgiveness and unconditional love from my friends and family, I had to open up and be brave enough in the beginning to tell them what I was doing and tell them what I was feeling, tell them what I was going through, tell them that what she did and what she didn't do and what she said and what I was hearing. And it was like my friends, even people of faith who were, who would like absolutely stand against divorce, you know, 100% of the time, or at least as much as possible. Right. When they started to tell me, Hey, you should end this relationship. I was like, wait, wait, you wait, what? Like you're, you're a pastor and I've known you since I was 13. Well, you're telling me that. And I realized I was blind. I was not seeing the kind of harm that I was experiencing. They did. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I'm pulling him out. Like he's been in this long enough. Like they, they, you know, uh, Eric, Peoples, Christopher, Hopper, you, Jason, Clement, right? Jody, Mayberry, all, I mean, the list goes on. There's probably 35 people um, who walked with me through that. And they were like, we're going to grab you by the scruff of your neck and pull you out of this. Cause dude, um, at the end of the day, like you're the only one who can make this decision. But if we were in an ER and your, your marriage was on the gurney, we're all standing around being like, when's it going to call the time of death? Like, look, look at the machine. It's like a, it's flatline. And you just keep looking at the body. And I was like, holy crap. Like, man, you guys are right. And so I called the time of death. And um, in that death, there was new life. 
right? In that death, I became more um, uh, integrous. I don't know if that's a word, but integrity, right? It just means you're one. You are who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, my ex-wife did too. I can tell, right? She's she's probably she probably just started, you know, during that time to take off the mask she was wearing after ten years of marriage, you know, at twenty years old. Like, what the heck? I didn't know what I was doing at twenty years old. You tell me I was going to be married to someone eight years older when I was twenty? Like, I would have been crazy too. Right? <laughs> so I empathize with that, and I think there was a sadness. Um. And yet, I know she's a strong person. And no, I, and if I was betting, if I was a betting man, I would always bet that she would eventually work on herself. Um, that's what we based our relationship on in the beginning, right? We both wanted to grow and be um, people of personal development. And once she got through the, the, the shame and the insanity of what her emotions were going through, I knew she would pick up and start a new life and move forward. And I'm, I'm hoping that she continues to do that. But for the sake of who we both are now, like, okay, we've had a few conversations and okay, go, right? Like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna like bridge that. I'm not gonna like start texting her every other day, right? Like, cause that'll confuse her too, mm-hmm. right? Women take things differently than guys, right? right? And so just knowing that I'm like, I've got to be strong enough to um, move on myself and um, not lean into familiar habits and patterns or what ifs right and man you live in what ifs you'll 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 die (laughs) so what i find completely amazing about your journey with your ex-wife is um, there's a lot of different things from the fact that you knew that you needed a counselor from the way that you were able to acknowledge what you were feeling what you're seeing and what you're going through But I think the most incredible part for me is that when I went to come visit you this last December and we talked about, you know, the process and how it finally got tied up and the letter that you had written to her um, was beautiful. And I'd love to have you share with people that moment because it's really special to be able to come full circle. I mean, going to see where you were from blaming her for a lot of the issues that you guys were having to owning your part in that whole, you know, craziness. And I felt like that letter was really symbolic of that. And it definitely showed me that you've overcome so much and you've made peace with everything that had happened. Yeah. So, um, man, this was, this was, rough you know like it was about four days before we were both due in court to go finalize the divorce right and um you know it was an emotional time for obvious reasons you know just counting down you know the burial of this thing and i wrote this letter and i i i was like emotionally i was very um flatlined at that point and what i mean by that is i wasn't you know bursting out into tears anymore. Like that season had passed, but I knew that there was something still inside of me, you know, almost like, like that little extra bit of toothpaste that's still stuck in the tube, you know, it's there, but you don't really want to like go there or like try hard to get it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I knew that there was some sadness, something that was still not resolved. There was like, you know, something still inside my soul. And, um, I remember sitting in my mom's house in DC and like in her, in the guest bedroom where I was staying, and um, 
I read a book about the post-divorce period. And in the book, it talked about writing a letter to your former partner, but not sending it, you know, just to do it for yourself. Most people should not send this letter. So (laughs) I did that. I wrote it on my phone very quickly. And I just burst into tears. That was like the final catharsis of what was inside because I was able to finally say something to her after the anger had passed. And I was able to admit, Hey, I know you actually tried to say, sorry. I just couldn't hear it at the time. And that was on me, but I just couldn't hear it at the time. And, um, it's not because, you know, I, I didn't make this decision and then just move on with my life. It was a decision I made every day till the moment the judge asked me. And I remember I paused for a few seconds on whether I should say, no, we can still work this out. And I just powered through because I knew from three years of having gone through this, like I just knew the body of like work and Um, what we had done to each other, like we just did not have the ability or the skill to sift through all of that. If we stay together, Um, you know, being both Korean, our families, I mean, there's just a lot of collateral stuff and I didn't divorce her because of my family. Right. I didn't, they stayed pretty clear of it, but I realized that both of us had done so much damage to one another and our friends and our families that it wasn't an issue of, do I really, really care about this person? Cause I do, do I really love her? I do. Right. Not in, in a different way now, but I, I still do. Um, I love her enough to release her, you know, and I know that sounds crazy, but I did, I did, but um, it was about trust And I didn't trust that she had the skills and the maturity for us to work through this together. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so, um, after, and initially the anger was like, you're a, you're a, you're a brat. You are so immature. You are, I can't even believe what you did. Did you even think about what your life would look like divorcing a guy after 10 years? Like, who are you going to go clubbing with? All your friends are married. Who, what, what guy's going like, to date you after like, you know, you've been married to this good dude for like 10 years and all of a sudden you divorce him. Why? Right? Like if I've met you at, and I said all this horrible shit, Right. If I met you in a bar, my friends tried to set me up with a girl like that. And she told me I was married for 12 years, but I divorced him after 10. Um, even though I'm the one that kind of made a mistake and blah, blah, I would not touch you with a 10 foot pole. Mm-hmm. I said all sorts of horrible shit, right. That didn't make her feel better, but it was like that. And I own that because you know what that was? That was, that was me trying to say, you hurt me so bad, I don't even know what to do. So I'm saying this in anger. Like I didn't have the ability to communicate in a more mature way how much it hurt. And, and I will say this, and she wasn't mature enough to hear it other than me yelling. Right. And that's where the breakdown was. That's where I felt so, so alone 
like, I remember sitting her down one day. I'm like, Hey, now remember I'm eight years older than her and we got married when she was a kid. So I'm like, Hey, you know, when you do something like this, when something like this happens and you are clearly in the wrong, this is what an apology is like. You say, sorry, period. That's it. You don't ruin an excuse, uh, an apology with an excuse. And now you can just hear how I'm saying that. I sound like a pompous ass, right? <laughs> right. I sound like I'm lecturing her. Right. And that's also probably what made her feel even worse. Right. Right. But there's, the, we're so on different planets that that's really what it came down to. And there were things that I had to explain to her. And then once I did, she understood it. But I like, I, I remember, um, gosh, one time in counseling, my counselor said before we, before um, our next meeting, she said, Mike, I want you to do something for me. Our, our next meeting. I was like, what's that? She's like, I don't want you to talk. <laughs> I don't want you to say anything because she is regurgitating everything that you say. You are, you are teaching her what to say. Mm-hmm. I want to see if she can come to some sort of self-realization. And that blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, she's right. And I radio silent for the next two, three sessions. And man, I was shocked. I was shocked. And I wanted her to get the right answer. And she so wanted to get the right answer to save this marriage. Cause she didn't want this marriage to end either after a while. Right. Mm-hmm. She changed her mind. And that's where the trust eroded. It wasn't, you know, I don't trust her and I think she's going to go be with some other guy. That wasn't it. It was, I literally don't think she has um, the capability right now to weed through this. I mean, if there wasn't all this trauma, okay, we're just a regular married couple. We got to learn a few more dance moves. Mm-hmm. But because there was so much chaos and so much pain and so much destruction. I mean, she, she filed for divorce and like got the papers drawn up four times and changed her mind four times before I finally said, yes, like that was traumatic for me. Right. right? I'm going to get divorced that I'm not, that I'm going to get divorced again, that I'm not. And I'm thinking there's hope. And that was just, Oh, so traumatic. And so, um, you know, getting back down to the core of it, it was, it was all about trust. That's really what it was about. It really was. I just didn't feel like, I could rebuild a house with someone who didn't even know at the time how to use a hammer, right? (laughs) you know, and that was it, you know? So, you know, you talk about, we've had these conversations now and it's great that I can have a conversation with her. And I really do feel like she's learned and grown a lot. And so have I, and that letter, um, it was, it was, I mean, I, I was just a mess. And I wanted to send it to her, but then I I was like, this might be too heavy. So then I asked her, Hey, I have a letter I wrote. Would you like me to send it to you? If you don't, it's okay. And she said, no, I don't, I don't want it. I've moved on. It's okay. Or I'm like, um, okay, you've moved on. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And, um, but to me, that was my way of trying to acknowledge to her, now that I'm healthier, now that I've healed, I can see things in a different light. But it took so long 
for me to work through the anger because the pain was so great. And you weren't very good at empathizing with what you put me through because that was definitely a factor. Um, the timing just didn't work out. Right. They, they just didn't line up. Long story short, we reconnected a couple months after the divorce finalized. And she said she read the letter finally. She wanted me to send it to her. And uh, we had a really good conversation on the phone and she wanted me to send it to her. And she read it and um, she said, thanks so much. And it was really a, a beautiful conversation. We talked for several hours actually about how we both processed the divorce, um, how we both were moving on with our lives. We even, in a strange way, talked about our dating lives. <laughs> and, you know, Kim, it was, I finally was able, because we weren't married anymore, it was weird. I finally, I just felt like I had nothing to lose at that point. Mm-hmm. And the conversations went a direction where I was able to like talk with her about, you know, guys she's dated since then and girls I've gone out with. And I was finally able to tell her, yeah, you know, when all that craziness happened, I, I absolutely, I absolutely went looking for other girls. And she's like, I understand. Now, had we been married or, okay, no, I wouldn't say that. She wouldn't have been able to hear that two, three years earlier. She, she would have blamed, she was like, see, you cheated too. And she would have used it as a weapon against me. So I didn't say anything and I felt alone. That was the byproduct. And anyone listening to this, like you're in a relationship with somebody. I mean, you don't have to give all the gory details, but you have to be able to trust that they can handle your shit. Right. That's the biggest freaking thing. Like, and like I knew she couldn't handle it when she told me, I didn't about this guy. She was, I didn't have a tantrum. I was like, okay, all right. I get what is happening now in a weird way. Here's the thing I learned. Maybe she wanted me to emote Mm -hmm. because that's how she hears. And that's how she operates. So Mike not freaking out and throwing a glass across the kitchen, even though that's scary would actually tell me he cares in her own way. Like in, that's her unique way of communicating. Right. And I realized that. And my counselor would tell me like, listen, she processes the world so different than you. When things get crazy, you get more calm. That drives a person like her crazy. Right. She thinks you don't care. I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and I'd argue with my counselor. And she's like, You're just afraid to show it because you don't want to become destructive like your dad was. You see how all this ties together, right? Yes. I didn't know how to express anger in a healthy way. I just shut completely down. Mm-hmm. That tells my partner he doesn't give a crap or he thinks I'm crazy and he's already eight years older. So he probably thinks I'm being really immature. Right. Damn, that sucks. Feel bad for her. All right. But that's that was our dance. Yeah. That was our dance. So um, you know, part of the big healing process has been for us to be able to to have that conversation. You know, we met for dinner once over New Year's when I was back in the area. It was very nice. And after that, it was just, you know, 
sporadic texts, you know, cause we still have some logistics and stuff to clean up. But, um, I feel like it's at peace and it's at rest and that's a wonderful feeling. And not everybody gets to have that. I know because the other person has to also play ball. Right. But she happened to, and that was really, really nice. So yeah, I feel like I'm in a really good place now. I think it's amazing that you have done the work that you have, that it's so cool to watch how it's come full circle. And the one thing that I love about this topic is, is that a lot of people don't realize that divorce is traumatic. Like it's trauma. It really is trauma. And a lot of people just go and kind of move on with their lives and go through this process, but they don't acknowledge all of the shit that comes from it. Right. And you've essentially done all of the work ahead of time so that you don't have like weird trigger issues and like things that'll set you sideways because you have actually been, you know, very introspective in this process. And I applaud you like I have so much love and so much respect for what you've done and how you've done it and the realness in which you come forth and share your story. Like that's <laughs> like, like I could, I, I could not love you any more than I do right now. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, and, and maybe, maybe, you know, some of you are tuning in and you're still with us in this conversation because it is pretty crazy and we have been going a while, but you know what the fruit of it is on the other side? You do the hard work. If you do the hard work, um, especially if you've gone through a traumatic, you know, breakup or divorce or something like that, you equip yourself, you give yourself the gift to make a better decision the next time around. And in the end, you know, it's a decision. Like I, I, I can find the female version of me. <laughs> and just because it's the female version of me doesn't mean we're going to have a happy relationship. Right. Or it doesn't mean that, you know, the universe has ordained that we do. I still have to decide, yo, girl, want to go out? And that's on me. Like, you can influence almost anything, really, but you control almost nothing except for yourself. Right. And now I can look at, and I, and I've met, I've, been, I've gone on a lot of dates and that was actually really funny. Um, that was actually one of my pastor's advice to me. They're like, go on, go on a lot of dates. Otherwise you're going to pick ex-wife version 2.0. <laughs> they, they did not say I should sleep with them. Right? <laughs> yeah. but, but like all, all kidding aside with that stuff, it, it was, um, it was really good for me because I could see and meet many different types of people. And I could objectively say, what do I like about this person? What do I think would be a challenge if I was in a relationship with this person? And it just kind of becomes this decision. Now your heart follows, right? Mm -hmm. But you've got to be able to make these decisions. I can't control your heart, but you can't control how you process some of this stuff on a rational level. And a lot of the things that were important to me when I was younger are not now, you know? Um, and I'm really looking now, okay, companionship, compatibility. Yes, romance. Yes, passion. Yes. Um, yes, someone who can even understand what the heck I've been through and, you know, and get it. Someone I can trust to build a house with. 
you know, who has those kind of e- that EQ, that emotional intelligence. Um, and so, yeah, I've, 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 I've gone out a few times and, you know, there have been some girls I'm like, Hmm, I kind of feel like maybe there's some potential here. And I don't know that I'm ready to be in a relationship yet. I don't think I am. So I pray they'll just be a friend, right? I got this one girl in mind right now. I'm like, wow, she's just, she's just, everything is great. And I've talked to you about her. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, this, this looks good. This looks so good on paper. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I hope that she is somebody that can say, let's just be friends right now. Cause you've been through a lot and I just like you as a person. And if something happens down the road, great. If not, great, you know, and if not, you know, I'll meet somebody down the road. Right. And I'm, I've learned not to freak out about that kind of thing, but it has helped me process and realize, man, like people make these relationship decisions before who they know who they are. Like I'm of this mind, like, okay, let's just lower the drinking age to 18, but let's create a minimum <laughs> age of 25 and you can't get married until you're at least 25 or 26. Right. Like, <laughs> dang, like, it's just, you know, like we or maybe 30, I don't know. Uh, just, you just don't know yourself enough. And um, kudos to the couples who make it you know, who've made it and grown together and evolved. Um, And then, yeah, there are those other couples who have never changed in 40 years. God, I don't want that life. So, (laughs) so yeah. So before we um, end, and there's a couple of things that you did talk about. I just love like just the conversations that are coming up here, but the fact that you know that you're not ready it's so funny because I, I can't tell you how many times I've had numerous conversations with men who have just gotten divorced where I'm like, hey, I see where you're at. And I'm like, you're just not like, I hope that we can be friends. And I just know that you're not ready. But when you've gone through that process of healing and whatnot, and oh, my God, I got my head bit off. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Guys are like, no, like I'm right. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, no. no. Mm-hmm. So it's they're ready for a fling. They're ready for a girlfriend or a friend with benefits, but right. marriage, come on, like, right. It's a whole nother deal. That's funny to me. But the one thing that I would love for you to impart onto the audience is something that you would love for them to know or do based off of the experience that you've had that would make this world a little bit better. Wow. Um, it would, it would be to be honest with yourself and to develop the courage to be honest with other people. I realized I never knew how to ask for what I wanted or needed because I never really thought about what I wanted or needed. Right. And by default, I just figured if I'm just a good person and I'm a nice person and I treat my spouse well, and I do good work, like life will work out. And it doesn't like (laughs) life is not like meant to live, be lived by default. It has to be by design. And were I to get into another relationship, I would say, Hey, I've done enough work on myself to be able to maturely tell you from one adult to another, these things are really important to me. And if they're not important to you, that's okay. But that may mean we're not going to be in a, in a, in a relationship. It's not going to be good. 
And these are things that I need if I'm going to choose to have a partner. Right. If I don't choose to have a partner, I'll meet those needs in certain other ways and hopefully healthy ways, right? right? But if I'm going to say, this is my life partner, this is my spouse, what whatever you want to call it, and this is a person that I trust to know me, to know what I need, to know what I want, to anticipate to a certain degree because she knows me, um, that is what's going to make our relationship fulfilling it's what and me doing it for you as well. And it's what is going to make our relationship so fulfilling to the point that we would truly forsake all others. And so, but that all, all that starts with the courage to be yourself, no matter the context that you're in so that you can really draw a line in the stand in, in the sand for what you stand for in your relationships, in your, in your career, in your life. And, um, you just got to learn to be comfortable with yourself. And that that's what I would say. And that's why I can come on this podcast and say all this insane stuff. Cause it's not, I don't care what people think. No, that's, I do. I do. But I'm secure enough in myself to know that those are just thoughts. And if it means that a few people will benefit from hearing this story because it was so real. Awesome. If it means that some people will think uh, that's way too much information or I'm some like chauvinist or whatever, great. That's not my issue. Right. And, um, and here's what I realized, Kim, and for everyone else listening in, when you are an honest person and people can feel that you're not always going to have fans because it, it triggers their own inability to do that, you know? And I'm like, Oh, right okay, you keep the mask on. You're like, well, I'm wearing mine. Why aren't you wearing yours? <laughs> I'm like, cause I decided not to. And, uh, you're not going to, it being honest doesn't make it all easier, you know, when it comes to those kinds of things, but it does make it a lot easier to live with yourself. And, uh, you might as well love yourself cause that's who you got to spend the rest of your life with. So. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us your story. And um, I look forward to having them connect with you even further. Yes, I uh, cannot wait to hear how this episode is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know that I would have shared all this on my own podcast. <laughs> it would have been crazy, you know, but uh, you created a safe space for me here. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Can I just say that was fucking amazing? I can't begin to tell you how much credit we need to give the man for being so honest. He has a brand, his network is highly faith-based, and for him to talk about all the things he did pretty much goes against the grain when it comes to his faith-based circle. This is what happens when you hit the I don't give a fuck button. If you want to connect with Mike, you can find him on Instagram with the handle MikeKimTV or on his website at MikeKim.com. He's incredible at all things marketing, personal branding, faith-based branding strategies, and so much more. I absolutely adore this guy. When it comes to being so incredibly honest, most couldn't even be that real with themselves and their own experiences. All the things he had experienced, so normal, but what makes it abnormal is that he acknowledged it, embraced it, and honored the messy shit. 
I can tell you from experience that it's easier to jump into another relationship or be distracted by putting dates and people to fill in dead space so that you can cope. I can also tell you that one way or the other, you're going to have to find the space and the time to be because true healing doesn't happen until you shut down the noise and allow yourself to go inwards. Make peace with that shit and understand what happened, what you need to acknowledge and who you want to be moving forward. Divorce is a learning experience. For all my faith-based people who are struggling with the shame in divorce, I offer you hugs, love and light. The challenging part about this is the judgment or the feeling of judgment. The issue with divorce is that it's normalized and it really shouldn't be. Many will feel like this is something you just get over and move on, so not true. And if you treat it as such, you're going to find that it'll be much more difficult to find a healthy perspective that will allow you to come to peace and self-love. So I hope that in this episode, you find that when you're really honest with your experiences, you gain the freedom to live your life the way you want to because you are transparent. Be transparent. You'll find yourself falling in love with you. And that, my folks, is the real work. If you found this episode to be helpful and you feel like more people should be listening, help a girl out. Please rate and review me in iTunes if you haven't already. And if this is the only thing I ask for at this time, this would mean a lot to me. I love reading the reviews and I love feedback, good or bad. If you want to connect even further, come to my site, which is kimbao.co. K-I-M-B-A-O dot C-O co dot com and drop me a question to let me know what resonated. There's always room to improve and would love to hear the feedback you have for me and be able to connect. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, your insight, your willingness to hear another perspective to add to your arsenal of amazing tools you already have. Enjoy right now and we'll see you at the next episode. Much love.